With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor, we are here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello, and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host, and I'm so happy you're joining us today. Welcome to the 10th episode of my show. I'm really excited to have this platform to help raise the awareness of information security and privacy risks and issues, highlight current issues that really need to be discussed more to help reduce breaches and also reduce the numbers of security incidents. And I also really love to provide listeners with practical tips and actions to help them improve information security and to better protect their privacy. Please check out my websites, privacyprofessor.org, symbus360.com, and privacyguidance.com. So today, I'm going to discuss with a very highly accomplished professional and expert, the information security and privacy professions, and how so many of us within those professions love to work in many different areas and have expertise in many different areas. You know, I still have many memories of being really very young before I even started into kindergarten. I I just was wanting to do everything. You know, I wanted to be an astronaut, a veterinarian, a flight attendant, a chemist, a magician, a musician, a world explorer, an author, an inventor, an architect, and, well, so many other things. And I've always just wanted to do it all, experience it all. And that hasn't really changed much throughout my life. When I was little, my father taught math for many years. When I was in kindergarten through second grade, my mother worked the night shift at the hospital while my father and I were at home. And I have great memories of him teaching me his 7th through 12th grade math lessons during those times. He'd place me on the top of the dining room table right in front of him while he graded his papers and he gave me math problems to keep me busy. So it was so fun. It was like solving puzzles with my dad each evening, and I I truly enjoyed it so much. I didn't even realize I was learning math at the time. I was just doing puzzles with my dad. Well, when he became a superintendent of schools, he continued to teach the advanced calculus class for high school juniors and seniors, and I was in his advanced calculus class when I was a junior in high school. And when he would have to go to his superintendents and administrators meetings, he turned to me and said, hey, Beck, why don't you go teach the class (laughs) Uh, or take it over at least while I step out? Um, 
it, it had only a few students in it, but, you know, when he told them that he had to step out and they could come to me with help with the problems, it was, of course, a bit awkward with my peers, but you know what? It worked out. So I got an early love of math and through other reasons, which I'll touch upon in some other show, I ended up getting bachelor's and master's degrees in math and computer science and education. And throughout my career, I've been a mathematician, a teacher, systems engineer, privacy researcher and leader and university professor, inventor and other roles. I've had one of my master's program students several years ago actually called me the renaissance man of information security and privacy so yeah that's pretty cool the dictionary defines renaissance man as a man who has acquired profound knowledge or proficiency in one field you know what i'll take that label but i'm tweaking it to be renaissance person thank you very much and I have many of my professional friends and peers to whom that term also applies nicely. Wearing so many hats of capability, though, can be confusing to those who are considering us for employment positions. Some examples of comments made to me over the years include, for one example, well, so... You are a computer security expert, really? I thought you only did privacy. Or then I'll also hear, oh, so you also do privacy and compliance? Well, I thought your specialty was data security instead. You know, there's so many career advisors that give advice that you should focus on just one specialty. And that that may very well be best for some folks, but... I can testify that it does not apply to everyone. While many folks love to have one primary area of focus to work within, I personally crave that wide range of experiences and topics and and always learning new things and exploring and discovering new things. You can be successful doing that. And I have the perfect guest to talk with today who is the epitome of being able to pursue a love of many widely different topics and experiences and make them part of your professions throughout your lifetime and be very successful doing it. My guest today, Linda Cadigan, is a great example of achieving multiple professional successes. She's an accomplished and successful entrepreneur, a cybersecurity leader, and a philanthropist. Linda is a 20-plus year veteran in the information security and data privacy industries, and she's also started so many businesses. Linda has a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in creative writing and political philosophy, and Linda studied for her master's degree in theoretical physics. Linda has worked for First Data Corporation in partnership with Microsoft in a joint encryption payment platform, and she's a member of the Microsoft Partner Program, and she's worked with other corporations in several different positions. 
Linda has been involved in many startups. So here's an example. Safe Message as International VP of Sales and Channel Manager for Zeta Systems as Director of Sales and Channel, Aegis Identity Group as CISO and CIO, and BeHip.com as CEO. Now, Linda has used the internet since the days of DARPANET. Hey, I have too, and it was fun, wasn't it? It has a passion for sensible usability. Linda believes in keeping information safe and personal details private. Linda has three kids, two dogs, and is a longtime Star Trek fan, but she believes in Star Wars too. Linda, I'm so happy to chat with you today about just a few of your many areas of passion and professional successes and allow our listeners to learn just a bit about your journeys in building businesses. Many of my listeners, from those who are just starting out in their early 20s to those who want to start a new direction in life in their 50s, 60s. I've even talked to those in their 70s and beyond who have contacted me. And they've told me they are looking for direction and insights into how to follow their own dreams and create careers that they love and that can be profitable. So, Linda, thank you for visiting, sharing insights about these topics, and welcome to my show. Gosh, thanks so much, Rebecca. That, you know, I'm just like you. I have a passion for, you know, as soon as I hear something new that excites me, I need to know more. Right. I mean, isn't it? It's just fun to learn about it, isn't it? I mean, that's that's it always, is. yeah. Well, so you this passion of yours for learning new things, how did that lead you into getting into the information security space to begin with? Well, I will take you back to like the early to mid-90s where I was actually a former model managing a modeling agency in Seattle. Uh I know. So talk about something that doesn't necessarily jibe with (laughs) what the standardized view of the information security space is. But I put in our first computer system. I was fascinated by that. I'd been using Mm -hmm. the internet since the DARPANET days, and I saw value. Um, to our industry. At the same time, I had kids, so I needed to start looking for an industry that was more traditional, nine to five, Monday through Friday, holidays off, weekends off. That is not fashion. Um, So I sat down and decided, oh, about 97 or 98, that I wanted to focus on three areas, so I needed to choose one or two. Um, One was mobile, which I decided the U.S. was not anywhere near to being mature enough, so that dropped off. Now, before you move on, when you say mobile, are you talking about mobile computing and mobile access? Okay. Mobile devices. Mobile Um, devices, okay. um, Data storage, which is still a passion of mine, and Mm. information security and privacy. So I chose those two. Awesome. And then that led you, I'm assuming, to looking into ways in which uh, 
you know, you could find out more about those areas. How did that lead you then into being co-founder of so many different tech businesses? I mean, I know you have Safe, Med- Mes- uh, Safe Message, sorry about that, and also the Aegis Identity Group. Can you tell us a little bit about what led you to have the idea to start those businesses and give you the motivation to take those risks? Because, you know, starting a business, that's a risk. But uh, if you have the right mindset, I think, uh, you know, you can go for it and be successful. Absolutely. Um, I papered the east side of Seattle, which is where the high-tech companies were back in the 90s. And I was very fortunate to have one man hire me at First Data Corporation. Mm. And he was so inspiring. He was such a motivated person. And he still is. He's one of my best friends. Mm. Um, And with that, I think because he gave me so much confidence, I never thought I would fail. Well, that's cool. So he's he never gave you any type of, you know, like, oh, well, you shouldn't get into this because that's not your background. Yeah, you're a fashion model. You don't know anything, so I'm not hiring you. No, from the first time I met him, he was like, I love you. I love your mind. I'm interested in your input. I'm going to train you for three months. Oh. And, and, and we're going to rock this town. And we did. Oh, that's so important, isn't it? That, that it strong is. support. It really is. It's one of my, if there's anything that I share with you today, I carry this thought with me now. So I've raised my children with this thought. I've managed my people with this thought. Um, it was very, very empowering. So that was a first step that led me to um, the payment portal that mm-hmm. Microsoft worked with um, FDC. It led me to a lot of other things as well. And then when you were working on those, you must have had some inspiration or idea about how to make maybe digital messaging more more secure, more, you know, privacy friendly, or even with uh, privacy and the Aegis identity group, maybe what, what led you to those two startups uh, to get those going? At Safe Message, I was actually hired by them because they had a complete boondoggle going on. They had front page USA Today article about this wonderful new product created by my friend Tony McNamara Um, and within like 24 hours they had 3,600 inbound leads. Holy cow. So what year was this? I mean that's important because now people might hear that and think really there's so much or there's so much competition but uh, what year was this? Because I think that was something pretty new back then, wasn't it? 2000, absolutely. Wow. Uh, so they had, they had the technology 
but they didn't have the communication skills to respond. Mm. They had a vice president of sales, but he just was in over his head. You know, he was just inundated with leads. So I came in and I built out a channel, created a channel for that would respond to that amount of leads. And mm-hmm. from there, it was relatively easy. It was a matter of addressing the challenge and breaking it down into its most easily consumed component. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, yep. Well, I mean, in 2000, so I'm going back to my frame of reference. In 2000, I was still using my dial-up modem, still using, uh, I think, probably <laughs> um, my AOL you know, uh, dial up and doing email in a way that, you know, I was doing lots of messaging, but I cannot imagine back then what uh, you must have had quite a breakthrough to be able to handle a large amount of email back then and do it in a way that showed your customers that you cared and that you were responsive, but also did it in an efficient way. So, Kudos for you for that. That's really uh, that's that's really groundbreaking for for that point in time. Right. We found that um, well, actually, the product was created at the direct request of our first industry, which was the financial institutions mm. in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Oh, in Switzerland. Okay. And their problem was that if they were closing, and remember, this was huge M&A time. So there were mergers and acquisitions going on all across the globe. Um, But the problem was for a banker in Switzerland to be closing mergers and acquisitions with a startup in the Bay Area, for example, That meant that somebody had to be standing there in his office and then somebody had to be standing there in his pajamas next Mm -hmm. to a fax machine with Mm -hmm. a shredder. So that's what safe message was. It was an instant message that was completely secured um, that carried documents from one time zone to another and the administrator, which was the sender, retained the rights to when that message would shred. Oh, nice. Well, that's still pretty um, cutting edge today compared to what I'm seeing with a lot of clients out there. So um, you were way ahead of your time as far as that goes with that type of technology and procedure to get implemented in organizations. Sure. And I think that our most difficult challenge in the U.S. was um, Napster. Oh, yes. Good old Napster. Why don't you uh, remind our listeners, because there might be some folks out there who have never heard of it before or um, have forgotten about it. Just a brief overview of it. Napster, sure, absolutely. Napster was a peer-to-peer transmission protocol that would carry music. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the 
mainstay organizations were up in arms because it was um, it was new, it was unknown. The fact that it went peer to peer, which means it didn't stop at a server to be examined, like mm-hmm. email, um, that made people very cautious and very mm-hmm. wary about it, and. Napster kind of tanked about the same time that Safe Message, which was also a peer-to-peer protocol, was burgeoning. So that was, I think, our biggest challenge. Um, we did have clients in the U.S. The National Institutes of Health was one of our main clients. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Um, we had a huge amount of success within churches that wanted to conduct, um, they would send their missionaries out into like mainland China. Wow, I would never guess the churches, but you know, mainland China, talk about challenges there. Did you have China saying, give us your cryptography keys or uh, anything else? They wouldn't see it. We would load it on a flashcard, um, layer the flashcard into a camera, and it couldn't be seen. It would just look like a stream of random data. So they never, I mean, they'd look at the pictures on the flashcard, and mm-hmm. they'd see the Bible, which was actually embedded in that um, particular device. So you were using steganography. That's right. Awesome. <laughs> We also had success with um, female rights groups mm-hmm. that were smuggling sexual education into Saudi Arabia and several other, you know, countries that were not female friendly, still aren't. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, that is um, exceptional. Um, that's great. I'm I'm glad to hear you are having such a positive influence and um, you know impact on those types of such vulnerable populations. Right. Um, what about your Aegis identity group? And let me know if I'm saying that incorrectly. It actually Aegis, but Aegis. Okay. Both ways, but we said Aegis. Aegis identity group was created to combat um, identity theft. Mm. So we had that a couple of years ago. Um, it was our claim to fame. We didn't sell to consumers. We sold to insurance companies. Ah, okay. And then they then passed it along to their clients? Yeah, they just b- embedded it into a policy. Okay. Well, that's smart. Um, So uh, is that still uh, around too, or has it morphed into other, uh, you know, within another type of product? No, I'm so sorry to say. While Safe Message, we actually did roll off our technology to our European joint venture partners. Mm -hmm. Um, Safe Message died. Um, because our main funder and our CEO, unfortunately, wasn't a technologist. He wasn't as involved in the development of the technology, and he lost interest. So, oh. with that, when our funding and 
you know, we had some clients, but not enough to sustain it. Interestingly, um, one of our guys identified the breach at um, Equifax. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's quite a discovery. <laughs> oh, actually, it wasn't. I mean, many, many people in our field, it was pretty glaring. Well, <laughs> but to be one of the primary ones, that's... Uh, that's uh, something to put on your resume, right? Uh, yeah, that was that was our claim to fame, you know. And the yeah. fact that we never closed that breach, and it came back again and again. It was it's really interesting to see that the human element is always what surprises me the most. Mm, yes, well, the human element is so unpredictable, right? I right. mean. You never know what's going to happen there. Even with people you might have known for years, all of a sudden, things might take a completely different turn than you ever expected. That's right. Well, you also then went on to uh, be a CISO in different and CIO at different organizations. So we have uh, just a minute before we go to the break, but I thought we could start off by uh, hearing a little bit about what led you into some other organizations then to be their uh, chief information security officer or chief information officer. Sure, absolutely. First of all, my first titled CISO position was at Aegis. And again, I was handed a challenge in our product. And I decided that instead of trying to fix the product, I would scrap it and rebuild from scratch. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes that's the best way, isn't it? So, you know. In this particular case, it was. We're coming up on a, a break here right now, but I want to, when we pick, come back, I want to pick up and hear more about uh, what you did and also how uh, you built their security programs. So right now it's time for a quick break to hear from our valued sponsors that I appreciate so much. We are speaking with Linda Cadigan, CEO at BHIP Incorporated and a serial entrepreneur. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the Privacy Professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show as well as give your show topic suggestions using my email, Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Also through my website, Simbus360.com, PrivacyProfessor.org, and my LinkedIn site. Please stay with us. We'll be right back after these important messages from our sponsors. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy, and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold and Associates offers information security products, privacy, and compliance tools, education, and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages. 
she has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Have you heard about Symbus360.com? The Symbus system includes information security, privacy, and compliance management, policies, procedures, and forms, third-party and vendor management, training and awareness, breach response and management, employee tasks and assets management, and risk management automation. Symbus also offers Alien Vault Unified IT Security Management at reduced pricing and also cyber liability insurance with limits up to $25 million. You need to find out more about the Symbus system. Visit Symbus360.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on the Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold. Today, we're speaking with Linda Cadigan, serial successful entrepreneur and philanthropist. So let's go ahead and continue our conversation. Before our break, I was asking Linda about how she started getting into the CISO, the Chief Information Security Officer role. And uh, Linda, why don't you continue on? You said... You got this responsibility, and then you had a product that you just decided to scrap. So maybe what kind of product was it, and uh, why did you decide it was just time to scrap it? Was it because of security um, you know, concerns or something else? It was, it was exactly that, and it was combined with the fact that um, we had a contractor building the product and it kept going on for too long. So it was mm-hmm. the expense mm-hmm. and it was the fact that it was, I felt insecure. Um, so I decided to scrap it myself along with the COO decided that the best thing to do would be to partner with a company that had built a similar type of product successfully And then we took that out and partnered with the most secure um, host. Mm -hmm. And from there, we we created a very user-friendly overlay for the insurance companies and other corporations to whom we were selling the product. And then they could reskin the product and actually get it out to the consumer to use. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. And by rescan, I'm I anticipate you're talking about they're giving it their own brand or their own logo, so it looks like it's coming from them. That's right. Awesome. That's right. We weren't interested in having our name out there. 
We mm-hmm. thought that that would, we weren't um, a life lock, which is selling directly to the consumer. We weren't interested in advertising. We weren't interested in anything other than selling a premium product to companies that would then put their name on the product. And I we love sure that it was it was secure. Yeah, yeah, you know, I love that and I can relate to it because that's exactly with my Simbus business that we have. That's exactly what we're doing too. We we created the platform for security and privacy, but you know, others are branding it and using it as their own. So, um, I'm glad to hear, you know, our idea for how to to do something like that has been done and you've been successful at it before. So, that gives me uh confidence going forward, uh, that type of path. (laughs) So um, one thing about what you did there, and I'm so intrigued because from your background, you entered this position, I'm assuming based upon what uh, you've been telling us, you probably hadn't been working with, um, you know, anything like BS7799 or any other type of information security standard or, or had uh, at least formal schooling in it. So did, did you do a lot of self-learning, um, do a lot of research on security? I mean, where did you go to learn what you needed to know to build a security program and make sure that you were addressing everything that needed to be addressed. Right. Absolutely. I don't have your extensive background, but I know you. I would rely on you. And that's, I think, my biggest claim to fame is my ability to build a knowledgeable, technologically secure and aware um type of channel Mm, so right i i never entered into a CISO position thinking that i knew it all Mm -hmm. i entered in knowing that i needed to rely on those people that were smarter than i am and that what i bring to the table is the communication skills because often the guys guys meaning male and female are that are the most secure technologists may not be the most able to communicate mm-hmm. to the end user. I think the other thing that is interesting is when you and I were discussing this over the weekend, mm-hmm. uh, you asked me about people who thought CISO should be business managers. Mm-hmm. And to a certain extent, I can understand somebody coming into this without a lot of knowledge, as long as they're able to put their ego aside. Mm-hmm. And that's because, I mean, think about it. Symantec, Cisco, LinkedIn, they didn't even have a CISO until eight or nine years ago. I mean, Very good point. <laughs> the position is relatively new. And the other thing is that because the position didn't exist, neither did the line of business. And for even big companies, even the government, to Mm -hmm. buy something, it has to have a named budget line. Mm -hmm. And often that would go into the CTO's bucket. And a CTO will always buy gears and gadgets 
overbuying security, which is kind of ephemeral. Mm-hmm. So now that's changed somewhat, thank goodness. But, you know, back in those days, to get the funding and that named item on a budget so that you could get funding, sometimes it took a business head to talk to the CFO because if you take in a security-minded analyst, the CFO's eyes are going to glaze over and you're going to get a big red check mark. Yeah, you know, that's such a good point because um, especially about the, the CFO who it's so many organizations, especially the midsize and the large ones, you you might have a, a really desperate need for budgeting, for information security. But like you said, if you can't convince the CFO that you need that, um, then you're going to have big challenges. A, a quick story for you about um, a very large technology company I did some work for back in 2004, 2003, some, somewhere in there. That was back, if you recall, when uh, breach notice laws in the U.S. were just getting started and we had SB 1386. I think that's the right number. I might have that wrong, but it was the, the first uh, breach notice law was in California. And so this large um, tech company had me in to see what they needed to do about that. And we were talking about encryption. Well, uh, I don't know if you recall, but in that first iteration of that law, it just said basically you, that encryption was scrambling the data. And right. so this big tech company, the, the CISO said, we really need to implement encryption because we've got all this data going around the world that's full of personal information and we need strong encryption. The CFO said, well, look at the definition. What does it say? The CISO told, well, you scramble data. The CFO said, well, can't we just build some type of algorithm in, in, in house and call that encryption? And the CISO at that point kind of taken off guard said, uh, um, well, yeah. <laughs> so be, to save, you know, to save a little bit of money, the CFO required their IT group to use an in-house algorithm to scramble data and called it encryption. And and that did not work well. They ultimately had breaches. But I guess to your point about CFOs, I think that's another thing that makes it important to know about an organization like you talked about, recognizing who your team needs to be and how to communicate. It sounds like you knew how to communicate with the CFOs and um, also other parts of the organization, certainly knowing your business is important too, right? To make sure you can recognize where risks are at based upon how your, your business works. Exactly. Absolutely. It's, it's so important to rely on your team. Um, I'll give you another quick story. Yes, please. A major telecom business as a regional manager for a security company. Mm-hmm. I had my CEO, I had my top security guy with me. We were just giving a quick sales presentation. Mm-hmm. And the CEO and the top security guy, God love them, they just kept there, you know. <laughs> Blah. <laughs> The words just kept coming and they didn't shut up and listen. And that's another really important point. 
They needed to shut up and listen. Oh, I love it. I said, thank you for your time, guys. Let me just ask you to put a pin in it. And then I turned around to a woman who is now another one of my dear friends and said, what do you need? Do you need anything from us? Because if you don't, why are we here? And she said, my bonus is due at the end of the quarter. I have all of these IP addresses in my organization. I think there might be 35, 40, and I need to reconcile them. I need to know where they all end up, which made sense for a telecom Mm -hmm. company. And I said, okay, that makes sense. And she said, I need my bonus check, and I need to have this job done, and I don't have the resources. And I said, well, how about if we do a two-week trial and just give you a report at the end of that. If we can do that, can we then assume that we would have basis for ongoing business or at least continuing dialogue? And she said, absolutely. You know, she was thrilled. She yeah. wanted They ended up having 536 or 37 open IP addresses, none of which they even knew existed. Holy cow, and she thought they had, what did you say, a dozen? 30, 35, 40. 35, oh man. You know, again, I didn't know how to reconcile that, but I knew how to structure the communications and Mm -hmm. make her feel at ease, you know, be realistic. I didn't overpromise, I didn't oversell, I didn't overtalk. Mm-hmm. But I just listened to what she wanted. She wanted her bonus check. Exactly. That I, I love. Yeah, I love that. I love that so much. Um, listening and not trying to show all your tech uh, credentials or how much knowledge you know, but listening to see what the other person really needs. And I love your your offer of her of this of. Giving it a two-week try. I mean, what a perfect way to uh, get in there and and get work done and and demonstrate your value. Right. Right. Now, I don't know how my CEO took it. I think he was okay with it. They ended up (laughs) in a $7 million line of business, but, you know, it was was assuming that risk. Exactly. I think he probably really appreciated that from you. Now, before I, I'm looking at the clock here, I want to get in about your BHIP organization because I know you created that in 1996. Please let our listeners know what motivated you to start this BHIP organization, what's the purpose, and just what do you want us to know about it? Great. Thank you. Um, BHIP started as a means of, when I had time, I would go into my daughter's preschool and teach little dance motions, you know, three-year-olds. And I noticed that as I, I did that, the kids would perk up. Mm-hmm. So I started doing a little bit of research, and I found 
the leading authority on PTSD in the Northwest who works at the uh, VA hospital out here, mm-hmm. who had just done a study on how movement therapy was very beneficial to people in traumatizing situations. Now, he worked mostly with vets. Mm-hmm. My thought was to take that and basically inoculate kids that might be living in violent circumstances. They might be victims of violence. There might be domestic violence in their home. They might be, um, God forbid, symptoms of sexual assault. They might live in war zones, obviously, Mm -hmm. in Seattle. But, um, you know, they're... Just to to teach children how to move, mm-hmm. freeze in place was basically the thought. Mm-hmm. And now, now that I've retired, I am building an app that will basically take those dance movements and then eventually maybe maybe games and um, music mm-hmm. or chess. Just mm. different ways to keep the mind moving, but also the repetitive nature. So that's one part of it. The second part is I am building a curriculum for certification in um, protecting, teaching children how to protect their personal privacy while online. <gasps> Good for you. That is so important. So, yeah, let us know more about that. I want to hear about this. Right. Um, I got the platform picked out. I Mm -hmm. help with the curriculum, but I know exactly what I want to follow. I want it to be like building an SDLC, a security Mm -hmm. development lifestyle, but a privacy development lifestyle that will grow with the children. So it will be very... Um, easy to learn and again there's the repetitive nature so that they learn mm-hmm. that you know you don't always talk to somebody who looks like you mm-hmm. on Facebook you and I know that mm-hmm. many listeners know that but I'll guarantee you there are still kids out there putting themselves in harm's way every single mm-hmm. day so and the final platform of the hip is Something I'm working on right now with a state representative, a state senator, and that is, we hope, to make misogyny a hate crime. Uh, Well, that is needed in so many different areas. Um, So, yeah, so how are you going to do that? What are are your um, activities uh, involved in that then? Getting a bill written and passed or, okay. Yeah. And, and like with everything else, it's not my great idea. I thought it was my great idea, but when I went out and I researched, I found out that there's actually a town in the UK that has done exactly that. Really? Well, what's the yeah. name of the town? It's Nottinghamshire. Ah, okay, Nottinghamshire. They went out in 2016, and they realized that women often felt unsafe walking down the street or even leaving their house, you know. Mm-hmm. It, they weren't necessarily the victims of predatory behavior. I mean, there are 
laws on the books against rape and sexual assault. But, you know, just catcalling mm-hmm. and following women down the street and shouting things to them really make women uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. if you make women uncomfortable, often productivity and quality of life deteriorates. Mm-hmm. So this little township, God love them, they went ahead and made misogyny a hate crime. Now, when did this happen? I mean, how many years ago? Uh, 2016 is when um, these two women started working on it, and 2017 was when the bill was finally introduced. Ah, okay. And so what has been the impact there? Do you know? I haven't followed up recently. So I know that, um, for instance, France is now charging men a 400 franc. Yes, I saw that in the headlines today. Yep. So whether or not it's because of that specific incident, I mean, I went out and I Googled, I want to make misogyny a hate crime. You know, is misogyny a hate crime? Why isn't misogyny a hate crime? We're half of the world's population. Mm-hmm. Why, why is it hate? Um, and I found out that Nottinghamshire had actually gone ahead and made misogyny a hate crime. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. So yeah. I built a PowerPoint presentation and I went around to a lot of different um, representatives. And I found a, a woman who was recently elected state senator and she's interested. So knock on wood. Yes, we will keep an eye out for that for sure. <laughs> So we're getting close to the end of our time here, but, you know, I want to give you a few minutes. So uh, we've covered a wide range of topics today, starting starting businesses, being a CISO, your wonderful Be Hip organization. What would you say are two or three points or, or calls to action that you want to leave with our listeners. And just for a little background for you, we have listeners who are not only security and privacy pros, but we have the general public who are wanting to find out more about security and privacy just to protect their, you know, to enhance and protect their own information in their own lives. So what are two or three points that you would like to leave folks with? I think number one is never be afraid to ask for help. Never be afraid to acknowledge the experts in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, that woman at at the telecom company, she was one of the finest pen testers I've ever met. I can pen test, but I'm damn slow. <laughs> um, but she has relied on me. I mean, she's mm-hmm. not yet a CISO, but she comes back to me and she relies on me as a resource and Mm -hmm. part of that ability to build a relationship and to acknowledge other people's strengths and to know how to communicate so that each other's strengths um, jive and fit together. Mm -hmm. I think so important. Yeah. I think it's always important to ask. So Mm -hmm. what, what can I do today to help you. Often when people are networking or they're on a business call or they're in a business meeting, they tend to close up and they tend to think, 
what am I going to get? What am I, is this going to meet my quota? Am I going to, you know, what's in it for me? Mm-hmm. Just stop, take a deep breath and think, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. You don't hear people say that enough, do you? No, you really don't. I think finally, always, always protect your own information security. Make sure you go out and tighten up um, whatever apps you have downloaded. I'm just as guilty as everybody else. I went out during the recent ugliness at Facebook and, you know, reviewed everything I had installed. And mm-hmm. some of them were really dumb. And I, you know, I removed them. Right. And make Very sure that you understand your children or your children's children or your, you know, kids in the neighborhood understand how important it is to protect their privacy. I believe that 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 needs to start from the very, very early ages, Mm -hmm. because if you try to tell a teenager to do something, it's too late. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree with that. It has to start very early, and I have have a suspicion that both your children and mine probably were hearing a lot of, um, a lot of, stories and lessons about security and privacy since the time they could probably even get onto a a computer or laptop. I know mine have. So, um, you know, I hate it, but we're at the end of our hour already. And I want to thank you so much for being on the show. I'm really grateful for you providing our listeners with such great career and business insights and examples and tips based on your significant experience and also letting us know about your fabulous philanthropy be hip so thanks for being on here today linda you are very welcome and thank you for inviting me oh most certainly i'm gonna have to have you back on so we can continue again someday absolutely awesome (laughs) so today i've been chatting with linda cadigan you can reach her via email um do you mind if i give out your email address linda sure it's L Cadigan, L C A D I G A N at gmail.com. And please visit her Facebook page for Be Hip. If you go up in the search uh, box of Facebook and put Humanity in Progress, all one string of characters, you will find it. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the privacy professor, and I'm pursuing my goal to help all businesses and the general public to be more aware of security and privacy risks and issues and also how to mitigate those risks and better protect privacy. Please tune in to the show each week. If you cannot make our schedule lifetime, you will be able to listen to the recordings. And you can find the recordings of all my past shows on iTunes, Mobile Play, Stitcher.com, TuneIn.com, Player FM, in addition to, of course, the VoiceAmerica.com business channel website. Also, contact me for information security, privacy, and compliance keynotes, being an expert witness, and other uh, types of security and privacy. You can also visit my YouTube channel, The Privacy Professor, to see my appearances on CW Iowa Live morning shows and see the topics we discuss there. You can contact me with questions, comments, and please let me know your show topic ideas using my email, Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Until our next show, 
I ask those of you who uh, are going about your daily work, who you're doing business with and who you're working for, ask them what are they doing to make sure that they're securing all the information that's been entrusted to them. So be privacy safe in the week ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe.